you would, please tonight take your Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians. We'll start in verse uh, chapter 15. I was glad to hear the sermon this morning. That was a blessing to me on the topic of just... Isn't that our first response when somebody asks us what we're thankful for almost all the time? It's the blessings that God has given me. And we're, we're specifically re- referencing our things. You know, we have a car and we have a home. And, and, uh, and really, those aren't the things we ought to be thankful for. Uh, we ought to be thankful for the hope that God has given us, the help that he gives us. Uh, I, was, I was exceedingly glad to hear the sermon. He told me what he was preaching on. And he told me the idea behind it. And so I was greatly looking forward to that, and that was a blessing as we approached this uh, uh, Thanksgiving holiday. And tonight I by no means want to try preaching the same message at all. In fact, I think if you pay attention, our sermons are quite different. They both are on the topic of thanks, however. But I want to read you a passage in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse number 51. It's a very, very powerful passage of Scripture. Very recognizable, uh, but man, it is, it is packed with power. So if you would, please, pay attention as we read and uh, give the Bible your undivided attention and uh, respect it as we read it. The Bible says in verse 51, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Well, it gets good right here, y'all. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin. And the strength of sin is the law. Uh, Please pay attention here. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain, in the Lord. Let's ask the Lord's blessing on the sermon tonight. Father, we come to you tonight expecting great things. Lord, as we read a a beautiful passage with so much theology in it, so much a wonder in it, I pray tonight that we would be able to behold wondrous things out of your word. I pray that you would lead us and direct us in a way that would guide us through and to truth. Father, I pray that you would use me as just a vessel a willing vessel, Lord, a broken vessel. But Father, please speak to hearts tonight. And Lord, may tonight people tune in to your Holy Spirit and be sensitive to what he's doing in each and every heart in the service. Father God, we ask that you would do all these amazing and tremendous things 
through the power and in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. I recently read a story of uh, the preacher H.A. Ironside. Now, this is unique to me because when I was in college, uh, my wife began to buy me commentaries. Then she was just my girlfriend, but as we would have anniversaries and we would have uh, uh, big days come up, she would give me a commentary of a book, and one commentary at a time. And the author of those commentaries was H.A. Ironside. And so that's unique to me, but I was reading a story how uh, Brother Ironside went out to lunch one day, and he was sitting alone, and a man came up to him and asked if he would be able to sit and eat with Brother Ironside. And Brother Ironside had no objection to that, and so he said, sure. As was Brother Ironside's custom, he, once he received his food, he bowed his head and asked the Lord's blessing on the food and gave thanks for the food. Once Brother Ironside had risen his head, the man looked at him kind of inquisitively and asked Brother Ironside, is, there, is your head hurting? And Brother Ironside said, no, my head's not hurting. And the man said, well, is there something wrong with your food? And Brother Ironside said, no, there's nothing wrong with my food. I was just simply giving thanks as I do before every single meal I eat. The man looked at him almost sharply and said, Oh, you're one of those people. He said, I don't give thanks for my food because I earn my money by the sweat of my brow. So I don't give thanks to anyone for what I have earned. I just start right in on it. Brother Ironside looked across the table at the man and said, Yes, that's exactly what my dog does. So many times, is that not how we as Christians are, though? You see, we're in the habit of thanking God for our food because that's what we've been taught since we were just knee-high to a grasshopper, amen? But truthfully, if we had been taught properly, and if we would read the Word of God for what it says and what it is, we would give thanks for all the many blessings in our life. For instance, God's presence in our life and God's love that gave us the reason to live. We would thank God for our church. We would thank God for our family. We would thank God for our nation. We would thank God for all the many wondrous things He's given us. But so often, like a dog... We just take right in on those things and fail to thank Him for them. Tonight in our passage, I see a few items of victory. Victories that God has already won, and yet we fail to thank Him for them. You see, Jesus fought many battles when He came to this earth, one of which was dying on the cross for the sins of mankind. But that was not the only battle He fought and that He faced. He fought many battles for us. And I want to take a look at a few of those tonight. I want you to notice verse 57, really the theme verse of our passage tonight. The Bible says, But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory. Now I want you to notice, who does the thanks go to? The one who fought the battle. You see, God is the one who's to receive the thanks, for God is the one who gave us the victory. But who did He give us the victory through? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, we're not victorious because of our achievements. We are victorious because of our affiliation. Because we know the Lord Jesus Christ and because we know a God who showered us with compassion, we are victorious. It's not that we can read our Bible on a daily basis. It's not that we can pray for 15 minutes a day or 
30 minutes a day for uh, the prayer prayer requests of the church. It is not our works that gives us victory. It is the works of Jesus Christ and the love of our God who gave us these victories. So tonight as I preach, be very careful to understand, you have done none of these things. Jesus has done them all. I want you to look tonight with me at a few victories that the Lord has given us in our passage. The first victory that Christ earned for us was the victory over death. I want you to notice in verse 51, the Bible's speaking and says, Behold, I show you a mystery. Now, if you take a look at the TV guide in prime time, is that not what about 85% of our shows are built upon? Mysteries? Uh, someone murders someone, and so we have to find out who was guilty of the murder. Uh, really, reality TV is a mystery. Uh, who is she going to pick to marry, and who is, uh, who's going to get voted off tonight? And it seems like it's all a mystery. So if we hear of a mystery, it ought to really intrigue our interest and pique our interest. And the Bible says, I reveal or I show unto you a mystery. Let's pay attention. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. I'm so thankful tonight that Jesus was the only one to defeat death. You see, death up until the time of Jesus was undefeated. But see, he had won many insignificant battles up until that day. For there was really only one battle that needed to be won for our cause, and it was that of Jesus Christ. Oh, it can win the battle against Adam. It can win the battle against old Abraham. It can win the battle against uh, uh, all the many Old Testament saints, Elijah and Elisha and Joseph and Jacob. It fought many battles and claimed many lives, but I'm here to tell you tonight that the one battle that needed to be fought for our case and for our cause was that which the Lord Jesus came victorious in. You see, death was a powerful uh, 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 competitor. No doubt it claimed many lives, but Jesus gave us power over death. Alexander the Great conquered almost the entire known world in a very short time. No doubt one of the greatest military minds the world has ever known. A a strong leader. Uh, I'm not up here tonight glorifying his immoral lifestyle, but we would all recognize that he was a very powerful uh, person throughout history. But I want you to know no matter how many kingdoms uh, Alexander the Great conquered, he could not conquer death. He died of a fever in 323 B.C. Now, one of our founding fathers, someone who we would no no doubt look up to and no doubt admire, George Washington, a great man. And I would even go out on a limb to say that without George Washington, our nation is not what it is today without him being a part of our history. George Washington, a leader of men, a servant leader of men, if you will. George Washington, a man who loved God and understood that he had a creator and he had a maker. He understood those things. He was a great, great, great man. He understood battle, he understood war, but he could not win the battle over death, for he lost it. Died of a throat infection in 1799. Napoleon, a small man, but a powerful man. A man who conquered many kingdoms, who fought many wars and won many wars. Yes, he lost some too, 
But you would have to agree with me tonight, he was a powerful man, but not even Napoleon could have power over the grave. See, great man after great man after great man has fallen victim to the grave. They've all lost the battle, but I'm here to tell you today, Jesus did not. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, and if you like memorizing power passages, that's one to memorize. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, the Bible says, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. Now notice this, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. You know what, if I was a heathen tonight, if I was pagan, and if I, I, I did not believe in a God, I was an atheist or an agnostic, I would fear the grave. You know why? Because I don't know what's on the other side of it. Death has been referred to the great unknown, and to those who don't know God, it is the great unknown. But the Bible teaches in the book of Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and verse 15, that as Christ came and Christ died, it was to relieve us of the fear of death. And one day I will have to stand over caskets of people that I love. And I will have to preach sermons of people that I love at their funeral. And as I stand over those caskets and I look in the eyes of people who are hurting and who are sorrowful, you will be hurting, but my friend, at the end of the day, Christ relieved the fear of death. I know where he is. I know where those people who have passed long before, I know where they've gone. They've gone to a tremendous home in paradise with the Father. Jesus said uh, that he would build us mansions if he goes to prepare a place. He will come again for his children and for his church. You see tonight, I don't fear the grave, for I know what lies beyond the grave. And it was Jesus that fought that battle for us. He gave us the victory, and for that we ought to be very, very thankful for what would it be like to stumble through this life in tremendous darkness and tremendous despair because we don't know what's going to take place tomorrow. But my friend, we have comfort in the one thing that our God loves us, and He sent His Son to die for us, and that through our faith in His work of Calvary, we would not have to fear going to hell. We would not have to fear the great unknown. But we can trust in Him and spend forever in a blessed home on high with the Father. But it was Jesus that claimed that victory. You see, no matter what Abraham did for the faith, he could not win that battle. No matter how many books of the Bible Moses wrote or Paul wrote, it was not them who could win the battle. The one who had to win the battle did. Can I say on the hills of that, he's never lost one and he'll be undefeated until forever and ever. Jesus gave us power and the victory over death. Not only did he give us victory over death, he gave us victory over departures. He gave us victory over departures. Look in verse 52. I want you to notice this. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible. Now earlier I referenced having to preach funerals and I've had to attend funerals of those that I love. I remember my uh, papa, 
I did not get to spend much time with him on this earth. I was quite young when he passed away. I remember certain things about uh, mine and his relationship. I remember, I can vividly remember a picture in my mind one day when I was in the basement alone with him and I was spending time with my papa, but I was just very young. I remember the night standing outside the hospital when the news came that my papa was going to pass away and that it was very soon and imminent. And I was just a child at the time, but I didn't understand the gravity, maybe not even the permanency of death, but I know that one day I'll see my papa on high. One day the Bible teaches that as Christ comes back to this earth, the dead who are uh, in this earth, the, the ones that are in the sea and the ones that are in the grave, they'll be called up to meet the Lord in the air, the book of First Thessalonians teaches us, and that we, after the dead shall rise, we shall rise and meet them in the air as we meet Christ. You see, one day I'll get to see my daughter Haley. One day, and you shared in that burden with me, you shared in that sorrow with me, And while I did not get to spend any time with my daughter on this earth, one day I'll get to sit at the foot of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I'll get to teach her of all the wondrous things he did for her dad while he was on this earth. And I'll get to see my daughter one day. And there is not a person in this room that has not been affected by death, that is not set by a loved one as you watch them take their last breath that has not looked in the casket as someone who you cared about deeply, and you looked in there, the cold corpse, and you, you were sorrowful at that moment, but you had the assurance that one day Jesus was going to come back, and you would be taken up in the clouds, and they would be taken up in the clouds to live forever with the Lord in perfect harmony. You see, I believe that as, they were, as uh, Peter and, and James and John were on the Mount of Transfiguration, I believe it is a teaching moment that when Elijah and Moses came down and Jesus had been glorified, I believe that they immediately recognized those men. They immediately recognized them for Peter looked up and said, Lord, it is good that we are here. Let us build a temple for uh, Elijah, Elias and for Moses and for you, Lord. They had no trouble recognizing their face. And while I think our relationships will be a little bit different in heaven, for Jesus will be the one who all the worship and all the praise and all the adoration ought to go to, I believe we'll recognize relationships from this earth. I believe I'll know my father. I believe I'll know my wife. And I'm looking forward to that day when I won't have to look in the casket of someone anymore, but I'll be able to spend forever in heaven with them. I can't wait for that day. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 tells us this in verse 10. For now we see through a glass, darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know even as also I am known. You see, the Bible's teaching us while we don't understand everything on this earth and we can't uh, fully understand what our relationships will be up there, When we do get to heaven, we will understand much more than we do now. And I believe we'll know our relationships from this earth. Aren't you glad that once we get to that heaven, the heaven that the Bible speaks of in such amazing terms, the heaven that we so much long for as just pilgrims in this world, wayfaring strangers, if you will, the the heaven that day, aren't you glad 
that you'll be reunited with those that have gone before. I believe the Bible teaches that we will know them. You see, heaven's like trying to... The Bible trying to teach us about heaven is a, a lot like trying to tell a blind man what the color green looks like. It's a lot like going to the deepest, darkest parts of Africa and trying to explain to that man who's never been outside of that realm what a jet plane looks like and its functionalities. Oh, heaven's going to be a magnificent place. It's going to be magnificent because we won't need a sun there for the Son of God is the light. It's going to be magnificent because we'll see the one who has the scars in his hands. It'll be magnificent because we'll be walking on streets of gold and there'll be uh, uh, pearly gates. There'll be amazing, wonderful things there. But aren't you glad that when we get there, there'll be no more parting. There'll be no more separation. For Jesus won the victory of departures. Thirdly, I want you to look with me tonight. The victory over decay. Verse 54 this is such a tremendous teaching that the Word of God has for us. The Bible says, So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in the grave. Now I'm not going to pretend to understand this. Commentator after commentator may begin to describe what our uh, uncorruptible, immortal bodies may look like, but I'll just be honest with you, I have no clue. But I know one thing, it will be amazing. It will be like the body of our Savior as He was on the Mount of Transfiguration, and, and Peter and James and John, their jaws almost drop to the ground as they see Christ glorified. And one day we'll have a glorified body. You see, this body that you now preside in and dwell in was not built for heaven. Now, our bodies are amazing. They do amazing things. In fact, did you know that within every single one of us tonight, there are 60,000 miles of blood vessels inside your body? You could circumnavigate the earth two and a half times if you stretched them out. And that's in you. Our bodies are pretty amazing. An adult is made up of seven octillion atoms. To help you understand how many that is, that is seven with 27 zeros after that. For perspective, there's a measly 300 billion stars. Now, if there's 27 zeros in an octillion, this is how many zeros are in 300 billion, 11. So there's 27 billion atoms, uh, 27 uh, 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 octillion, uh, uh, 27 zeros, an absurd amount octillion, seven octillion atoms in your body. And if you look at the stars, it just pales in comparison to the atoms that are in your body. You see, it's pretty difficult to explain that. Our bodies are pretty amazing things. On one single day, and this happens every single day, your blood travels 12,000 miles around your body. That's four times the distance across the U.S. from coast to coast. Every day. Now, our bodies are pretty amazing here on this earth. 
But you know one similar characteristic that we all share? We're dying. The other day I played basketball with the basketball team. Uh, I spent, we played, I believe, five quarters of basketball, just trying to give them some competition, and that went over terribly. They smoked us, they beat us. And, and so me and Brother Luke and Mandy and this Jamie and JT were out there playing with the basketball team, trying to give them some uh, competition and trying to help them, and they beat us. But we were trying to encourage them to do better, teach them things. And we were out there, and, you know, I'm only 25 years old, and every time I say this, people look at me and laugh, but I feel like I'm really old. See, like y'all, y'all just looked at me and laughed. I feel that way. Now, after that basketball game, we played basketball for about an hour and a half. We took several breaks. But I was thinking the entire time, man, tomorrow I am going to be sore. So what I tried doing was I tried getting ahead of that, and I tried stretching out really well before the game. I tried getting uh, uh, in a position where maybe I wouldn't be quite as sore. I ate a banana earlier in the day, uh, which helps with cramping, if you don't know. And so I was trying to do everything I could to prepare for this. Well, I, I went to bed, and I felt decent, but I was like, man, tomorrow I'm going to get out of bed and just not be able to move. And uh, I woke up. And I felt great. I'm telling you, I was actually very proud. In fact, that's probably the reason the rest of the story took place is because I was like, huh, I'm not out of shape. Despite what everyone else may tell me, I am the perfect physical specimen. And then I looked in the mirror and shot that down really quick. But uh, I, I remember feeling really good, and I was very surprised that I felt that way getting out of bed because we had played a lot of basketball the day before, and I haven't touched a basketball probably since, oh, last basketball season. So I was happy. And so uh, I went to work, and we had staff meeting that morning, and, and we talked about a lot of things, and we, did, we, we discussed a lot and got nothing accomplished like most of our staff meetings go. And uh, I, I remember... Since I have basketball in the afternoons on Wednesdays now, I have to spend a lot more time in the early morning and in the afternoon studying for my sermon on Wednesday night that I preached to the teenagers. And so I went into my dad's office. He was busy that day. And so I went into my dad's office, used his computer, and I sat in his comfy leather chair, and I put my feet up in his other chair. And I was just sitting there, and I, to be honest with you, I was listening but, uh, to debates between atheists and Christians. And I was trying to teach the teenagers how to defend their faith. And so I was listening to all the points that atheists would bring up and all the points that Christians would bring up. And I remember I sat there for 18 minutes because that's how long of the video I watched, 18 minutes. And my mom says, hey, Andrew, come in here. So with my feet up in that chair, I, I put them down and I went to get up. And it felt like somebody took a sledgehammer and hit me right in the backbone. And I'm not kidding you. I'm not trying to be, exaggerate this. I stood up, and as great as I had felt in the previous few hours, I felt adversely just as bad that quickly. I literally could not stand straighter than about a 45-degree angle. And so I walk into my mom with my brow furrowed, not knowing what's going on, and wondering if somebody was playing some terrible trick on me or something. I said, yes, ma'am. She goes, what are you doing, you goofball? Like, well, I'm building my core strength, obviously. I was reading, walk around like a goofball all day. You have strong abs. And so 
I literally could not stand up. So I went to basketball practice, and if you want to be really humbled, walk into basketball practice with about 11 teenagers on your basketball team going to lay into you because you're walking around like a dork. I walk in just like this. <laughs> this is what my teenager's doing to me. Brother Andrew, you okay? No, I'm good. Just core strength. Building the abs. I couldn't, I could not stand up, so I couldn't participate hardly at all. I went to Brother Luke. I was like, Brother Luke, save me, help me. So he helped me a little bit. So I had to go back and continue studying for my sermon immediately after basketball practice. And for the first time ever, I preached on a stool. So from now on, I'm going to. Uh, I sat down, and as long as I was seated, I could move around. So you asked the teenagers that night. I was like, ah, 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 like hand explosions, big moves, gestures, and stuff. And and and, uh, uh, but that day, the concurrent day, the following day, and then the next day, this is how I walked around. You ask anybody that spent time with me that week. I went to restaurants like this. I went to Walmart like this. I even went to Brookshire's, and I I wasn't too ashamed to use one of their little carts. I got on an electric cart. People were looking at me like, you're 25 years old. What are you doing on that? I'm like, I'm going to go get some cough syrup. That's what I'm doing. You leave me alone. I am not kidding you. I was in absurd amounts of pain. You see, I'm only 25 years old, and I hear some of these older folks talking about, oh, my body aches. My body aches now. I don't want to be old like you. I don't fall apart. But you understand something tonight. We all share one characteristic, do we not? Our bodies are dying. Every day we wake up with a new ache, a new pain. We were never more alive than the day we came out of our mother's room. And from that day, we have been dying ever since. doesn't matter how old you are. We share one common trait. Our bodies are corrupting. But on this day, when the Lord splits the eastern sky, as we have heard so many times, you know what's going to happen? Our bodies will be transformed. Just as quickly as we would be here and there, our bodies will change. And I can't tell you how it's going to change. All I know is this corruptible, decaying, corrosive body will go from being this weak, fleshly thing to being a glorious, handcrafted body that the Lord Jesus Christ gives me that day. No longer will I deal with aches. No longer will I deal with pains because Jesus won the battle for me. I'll no longer fight pain. The Bible tells us in Revelation 21, verse 4, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are all passed away. You see, you old folks that are having trouble walking around, you'll be able to get up that day and beat me in a foot race. 
You see, when we get up there, cripples will be running around leaping like the man in the book of Acts. When we get there that day, people that will never have seen will open their eyes to the most glorious sight, the Lord Jesus Christ, high and lifted up. You see, that day, no, no handicaps will be present. That day, there will be no handrails necessary, for we will have glorious bodies. But it was not us that fought the battle. It was Jesus. And we'll no longer fight the decay of our bodies, but Jesus will give us victory over decay. I want you to notice, fourthly, the victory from our damnation. The victory from our damnation. Look in verse 56. The Bible says this. We'll start reading verse 55 just for context. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin. And the strength of sin is the law. You know what the Bible teaches? You die because you've sinned. It is sin which kills us. And while there may be several diseases and there may be other things that actually end your life, the Bible teaches... For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible teaches that the wages of sin is death. And every one of us share this punishment. We all bear this condemnation that we have all sinned. And it doesn't matter about whether our father Adam sinned, which the Bible teaches it does. But at the end of the day, there's not a person that's hearing my voice tonight that has not their Choice made the decision to rebel against a holy God, made a decision to disobey His law. The law was given to us as a mirror for us to look into the mirror and that we would see our imperfections and see our shortcomings and see where we failed. And the Bible was given to us to point us to a Savior. The strength of death is the law. You see, we all fall short, do we not? The Bible teaches there is none good. There is none that doeth good. They're all gone out of the way. They have all together become unprofitable. That's what the Bible says about you. But through the blood of Jesus Christ and the redemptive work of Calvary, we no longer share in that condemnation. We no longer share in that punishment. For that day on Calvary, Jesus Christ placed upon himself the sins of the world. But more importantly, he placed upon himself your sins than my sins. And that day he died and my sins died with him so that no longer does the Father see my sin when he looks at me. But I am clothed in the very righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ that he has given to me because I've placed my faith and trust in him. It's a beautiful thing, but it was not me that fought that battle. It was Jesus. And he's the one that gave me victory over those things. Ephesians chapter 2, I'd like you to take your Bible there. Ephesians chapter 2. The reason I ask you to take your Bible there is I want you to very carefully pay attention to what the Bible teaches. Here we find a power passage, something that ought to strike every heart and every, ought to strike every chord. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11, the Bible says this, Wherefore remember 
that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uh, uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at the time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. See, the Bible teaches us of our damnation, but I want you to notice right here, this is the final point tonight. But now, in Christ Jesus, I tell you, this will preach, man, my foot's getting to tap, and that's not good. We're going we're gonna to have a good time tonight. Look, verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you were strangers from covenants of promise. You were uh, aliens from the commonwealth of Israel when you were without Christ, without hope, and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. You see, tonight I want to point this out to you. The victory through the door. Jesus proclaimed himself in John chapter 10, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go out and go in and out and find pasture. You see, Jesus is the door. But not only is Jesus the door, he knocks on our door. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 3 verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man, and I don't care what theology you have tonight, you cannot deny this fact. The Bible teaches that Jesus knocks on the heart of all men and that if any man will hear my voice and open the door, I will come in unto him and will sup with him and he with me. You see, we have victory tonight, not because of our works. The Bible teaches in Ephesians chapter 2, not of works of righteousness, which we have done, but by his blood, he has saved us. You see, it's through Jesus. It's through the door. And as he knocks on our heart's door, it's through our faith in the one that could win the battle. It's through our faith in the one that could fight the fight. It's through our faith in the one who won the war. It's through our faith in him that we have victory. Oh, it's not us. It's not us. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, we should all know this verse. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. The Bible says, and this is the condemnation, that light came into the world, and men loved darkness rather than they loved light, because their deeds were evil continually. You understand that the Bible teaches we shared a condemnation, but in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, the Bible says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. It's through the door we have victory. It's only through the door. Recently, and honestly my whole life, I've been intrigued by documentaries on our armed forces. And you can ask my wife, lately I have been saying this just at random occasions, just going down the road, our armed forces are bad. They're the best. And I don't say that pridefully, I don't say that boastfully, I say it thankfully. I watched a show one day and they were putting all the armed forces, the special military forces against our boys. 
And I want you to know that day, America embarrassed them. We could shoot at a swinging pig that was hanging up. They, they hung a pig by his feet and they swung him back and forth. And with our weaponry and with our boys, we put 30 for 30 shots right in his shoulder, right in the kill zone. Russia, China, even Israel couldn't do that. Our boys are bad. You watch, I was watching a documentary the other day about some of the attacks that happened while our, our, our boys were over there fighting in Iraq and Afghanistan. They would be, it was, it was really, we were by far the superior force, but because we were fighting on their turf, occasionally they would have tactical advantages almost because we would be sitting ducks. So our boys many times were fighting from a disadvantage of position. Our boys would have to cover these convoys. I remember one of them, they had to cover a convoy of 300 trucks carrying diesel fuel, co carrying gasoline, covering soldiers' uniforms, carrying uh, uh, weaponry and ammo. And they would have to care, uh, ca cover this caravan as it crossed right in front of them. Uh, every single time they would have to cover a caravan, they would fight. They would fight men across the road. They would fight men from behind them. They would fight men to the left and right of them. They'd be surrounded all sides, and our boys fought. Eight hours one day, five hours after the convoy was long gone, our boys were still firing shell after shell after shell after shell. Uh, Apache helicopters were coming in, and twice... Twice the Apache helicopters unloaded everything they had at the place that the people were fighting from, and they had to come back and do it again. But our boys won. You see, the reason our boys are better is because all of them want to be there. They're better because they love our country. They know that what they're fighting for is deeper than just, just killing the man on the other side. They know that they're protecting Rights for not only us, but for the whole world. That's our boys. Isn't it pathetic that we take like two or three days a year to thank them? I mean, we tried honoring them the other day. At our, our service, we had a video. And we think we applaud them because we show a video. We bring them up and we honor them that day when truly they deserve a lot more honor than that. And these men who are standing here deserve all the honor in the world, but the men who are unable to stand here deserve just as much. See, there's some men that gave their life for what we have. Let me ask you. I know I personally have never spilled a drop of blood for my freedom in this land. Many have, but most have not. I never raised a finger, and though I've shouldered many weapons, it's never been for freedom. And yet these men, we applaud them two to three days a year. But as sad as that is, you know what's more sad? The God that gave us all these freedoms that we have. All the victories that he's given us, the, the fights he's won that we've never raised a finger for. If our honor that we give them is pathetic, I don't know what our honor we don't give him is. You see, he deserves continual honor. 
our praise to our God ought to be uh, ought to be absolutely all the time. It never should be ceasing. That's the honor our God deserves. That's the honor our God uh, uh, should have should get from us. You see, He's fought the battles. He's given us victories. And we've never shed a drop of blood, and we've never raised one muscle in our arm to get those victories. And yet, how often do we thank Him? I would say, even if it were often, it would not be near enough. See, He's fought battles that we couldn't have fought. He fought battles that He shouldn't have fought, but He did. You know why? Because he loves us. And I'm not even going to try to explain the theology on why he does that. He just does. But are we thankful? Because I don't think there would be a person in this room tonight that would not, would not acknowledge all the many things he's done for us. And it goes much deeper than the car keys you're going to unlock your vehicle with. It goes much deeper than the driveway you'll pull up to and the front door you'll unlock. It goes much deeper than that. It goes to the fact that without Him, we're all on our way to hell. To be honest with you, that's where we deserve. But through His love and compassion, He fought battle after battle and gave us victory after victory. And I just want to encourage you tonight. Let's say thank you. For that's the least he deserves.